Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to a special edition, Looking Ahead to 2023. Brought to you by The Point with me, Lucien, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Brussels by Ambassador Fu Tsung, the new head of the Chinese mission to the EU, who just assumed the post in December. Ambassador Fu, thank you very much and congratulations for your new post. Tell us your priorities for the new job and how would you describe your personal style as a diplomat? Thank you for having me on your program. Well, as a diplomat, uh, I, 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 I use two words to describe myself, if I may. The first one is toughness and the second one is open-mindedness. Okay, toughness, that's very serious. Tell us, explain a little bit about that. Yes, when I say I can be very tough, and it, it means that uh, on issues which relates to China's fundamental interests, for instance, on the issues of Taiwan, I can be very tough. And uh, actually, I've been doing that uh, since I've come here. And I've explained to my European interlocutors that Taiwan issue is a right line issue for China. And uh, we, the, the, the one China policy needs to be strictly abided by, and we do not accept any encroachment on that uh, basic principle, which is actually is a political foundation of our relationship with EU and actually with all other countries. And when I say that I can be very open-minded, I mean that actually I can be uh, reaching out and listen, and I can be a very good listener, to put it that way. And I've been since I come here, I've been reaching out to the uh, to all people, uh, the EU officials and the politicians, and also the uh, the academics. And this afternoon, I'm going to meet with the uh, the people dealing with tourism. So I'm reaching out uh, to the uh, to the all walks of life. And uh, the uh, in my reaching out, I try to explain. Uh, China's position in a reasonable manner. And also I'm ready to listen to the views and concerns of the EU side so that we can seek a common grounds. And that's what I mean when I say that I can, I'm also very open-minded. So you are assuming this office actually coincides with a very important uh, time um, milestone, basically China adjusting its uh, um, COVID policies, a lot of people-to-people uh, -people exchanges will be stepped up and looking ahead over the next three years for your new term, what kind of difference would you like to make? What would you like to be remembered by if you, when you're looking back at the end of your term? Um, I, I know you for a long time. I know you have extensive uh, experience in arms control and in public health because you were um, a former director general of the Department of Arms Control of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. You spent two terms in Chinese permanent missions in Europe, one in Geneva, one in Vienna, and you were an advisor to former director general of the World Health Organization, very wide ranging. So what kind of difference would you like to make with the kind of extensive background you've had in diplomacy and in, in public outreach as well? Actually, there are two things I hope I can make a difference on. One is the uh, what I call the political environment, the atmosphere. Um, because we have to acknowledge 
that uh, recently the political atmosphere, especially on this part of the world in Europe, uh, vis-a-vis China, has not been very favorable. And so uh, I, I need to uh, reach out, as I said, and explain China's position and what we say to tell the Chinese story uh, and to the uh, European audience. And, uh, and that actually requires sustained efforts and that requires cooperation from my European interlocutors as well. So that is one area that I will actually uh, hope to achieve uh, something. And, and the second area which I hope to, to, to achieve is to have some uh, practical uh, cooperation on the ground, what I call the, the tangible results. And talking is important, but then those talkings has to be translated into actions on the ground. That's uh, what uh, I, we have. I have asked my colleagues to identify certain areas where there might be some low-hanging fruits which we can pick uh, as soon as possible in order to, uh, to really have people see the tangible results of the China-EU relations and cooperation. So these are the, if you like, the two areas that I want to make uh, some progress in. Thank you. What? what and made... just now you mentioned my experience. Indeed, uh, I, I must say that uh, I have a very strong team in our mission. Actually, we have a lot of expertise. Uh, we have expertise in science and technology. We have expertise in public health, in economics, in law, in history and even tourism and culture, actually you name it. We have great expertise in our mission. And so uh, they have been very helpful uh, in explaining the issues to me. And my experience, uh, my past experience has also come in quite handy. Uh, for instance, uh, on the issue of public health, just now you mentioned that the easing of restrictions uh, on the uh, COVID. Yeah. Actually, my experience in WHO have helped me to understand the issue better and have uh, have uh, made my arguments uh, with our EU colleagues more convincing I hope and also I know how the uh, how the organizations in public health area uh, function so uh, I I asked the I suggested to my EU interlocutors that they should speak to uh, to our people uh, back in Beijing, and also they should listen to the views of the uh, of the WHO, and in particular the regional office of WHO. So, and that's what they did. So, they it has been uh, quite uh, helpful, and also in the uh, in the uh, security aspect, arms control mm -hmm. area. And my previous experience have also enabled me to uh, actually to engage with my European interlocutors uh, in in-depth discussions on the, uh, on the security situation in Europe, and especially when the nuclear issues are involved. So all these have been extremely helpful. But you've never been actually an ambassador to the, the mission to Europe, let's say, in, in Brussels especially. What do you potentially see as the biggest challenge and what do you, where do you potentially see you have room for learning something new? For learning something new? Oh, actually, I'm learning on a daily basis. 
So all these issues I need to learn. As I said, I have a strong team. So uh, I am talking to my experts uh, on a daily basis. And also in the uh, when I talk to the uh, European interlocutors, I learn quite a lot from their perspective. I need to understand uh, what they are thinking uh, on specific issues. I need to understand the, the strong emotions they have when they come when it comes to the Ukrainian crisis, for instance. And I need to understand uh, the rationale behind the uh, the uh, some of the measures they have taken. And of course, in, in the process, I also need to explain Chinese rationale and our rationale for our positions. So this uh, exchange between me and uh, the uh, European interlocutors have been uh, a learning uh, experience for me. The, the learning, Steve, uh, has been uh, quite steep, I can assure you, but uh, I'm doing my best. Uh, but actually, when it comes to the challenges, it's not only my personal challenge. It is, I would rather say that we are actually, the relationship between China and the EU are faced with uh, some challenges. So, uh, but uh, we tend to portray them uh, in a more positive light. So I will call them our hopes towards EU uh, on the uh, how to improve uh, our relationship. I wanted to ask you this exactly this question. I wanted to ask you to feel the temperature, let's say, of China-EU ties, whether there is a fever or whether the temperature is too low and what lies at the core of the problem. Do you think the perception issue is the core of the problem from your conversation with your European counterparts or from people that you have talked to since entering the new job? Do you think that this is where the problem is? Indeed, uh, uh, the perception of China uh, has been uh, going through some changes. We have to acknowledge that. And uh, I'm sure you know that uh, on the European side, they have uh, come up with three terms to define the China-EU relationship. One is partnership, and the other, another one is competitor, and the third one is system, systemic uh, rival. So uh, especially nowadays, they tend to emphasize the competition and the rivalry part more. So uh, uh, that's something actually has, uh, in our view, uh, has, uh, has a dampening effect on our relationship and on our cooperation, actually in all fields, in economics and in science and scientific cooperation, actually it proliferates into all fields as a matter of fact. But actually, when I say that in this process of exchange, I also explain China's perspective. I tell my European interlocutors that China sees our relationship in a more uh, positive way. Actually, uh, President Xi said that China and the EU are two major forces for world peace and the two big markets for world economy and the two great civilizations for human progress. And actually, the, also, uh, State Councillor Wang Yi in his written speech uh, also said that uh, cooperation and the partnership are the main theme of the China-EU relationship. So what I'm trying to convey here is that uh, we do not see uh, Europe 
as a, as a rival, uh, much less an adversary. And we also hope that EU can see China's growth as an opportunity rather than challenges uh, or even uh, a threat. So uh, indeed, um, we, 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 that is some, something that we need to uh, spend a lot of efforts on. And just now you, you mentioned the challenges. Another thing I want to mention is about this, uh, the strategic autonomy. Right. The EU has been saying that they want to uh, stick to the, uh, the policy of maintaining strategic autonomy. I think that's very good. And actually China has been quite open in supporting this uh, uh, strategic autonomy uh, by the EU. Strategic and autonomy we, means that the EU should make decisions for itself instead of copying topic, talking points from third parties. We all know which party exactly. we mean. Yeah. Exactly. We, we believe that the EU is an important force in its own right uh, uh, on the world arena. But Ambassador Fu, some people are saying this process is going to take a long time, if not decades, it will take years until Europe is able to find, I always put it, where it's mine and it's hard at the same time, at the, at the, in the same place. You know, China trying to explain itself or, or make it clear that China is an opportunity, not a threat, but EU being divided almost, it seems. On the one hand, they want to do business with China, as I mentioned, businesses with mm. China is very important for the EU. But on the other hand, there are some politicians who are very hostile towards China and who can, for instance, disrupt cooperation between the two sides, the investment, bilateral investment treaty being one example. So how are you going to do your job effectively? Indeed, that's, uh, that's why I said that uh, there are challenges. And my, my, if you ask me in which area I want to make a difference, that is an, an area that uh, a difference uh, is urgently needed, I would say that. Yes, indeed, uh, the Europe is, is divided on certain issues, especially if you judge it uh, from the, uh, the public rhetorics. But actually, uh, what, is, uh, what gives me encouragement is that uh, since I've come here, I said that I've talked to uh, politicians, I've talked to, uh, to officials, and, and actually, I'm quite encouraged by what they say privately to me. And they say that uh, they will stick to the uh, strategic autonomy and they, they, uh, they, they, there will be no uh, decoupling uh, between China uh, and the EU. And so, uh, and they, they fully understand and respect uh, China's position uh, on issues like uh, Ukrainian crisis and so on and so forth. So I feel that uh, the basic foundation uh, between China and the EU are very good. And we just need to actually tap into this uh, broad, vast uh, reservoir of goodwill towards each other and mutual understanding towards each other. And that's an area that uh, I think uh, is uh, an area that I want to concentrate my work on. I know you are a very positive uh, thinking person. Mm. You, you, you highlighted your <laughs> open-mindedness from your, my understanding mm. of you. That's very characteristic of, of, of you, your star as a diplomat. But are you being too optimistic? I mean, for instance, on January the 10th, the EU leaders in NATO signed a joint mm. declaration which claimed that 
you know, they live in an era of growing strategic competition and that China's growing assertiveness in policies present challenges that needed to be addressed. Are these just talking points, rhetoric, or will there yeah. be specific measures that will be followed? For instance, NATO seems to be looking uh, more and more eastward and acting more and more eastward. Indeed, actually, that was uh, quite a serious issue. So I would dwell on this first and then expand a little bit later on. Uh, on this specific issue, indeed, this is a quite a serious issue. This is the first time that uh, China uh, was mentioned in the joint declaration between EU and NATO, and frankly speaking, not in not very complimentary terms. And uh, so uh, that's why I made a demarche immediately after their publication. I made a demarche vis-a-vis the NATO and also vis-a-vis uh, EU. And uh, I, I explained to them that uh, uh, China is not posing any threat to, to anybody. China adopts a, a policy of foreign policy of peace, and China's defense policy is defensive in nature. And uh, the fact that China has grown in its capability doesn't mean that China is going to pose a threat uh, to, to anybody. If anything, China's development of its military capabilities is aimed at um, maintaining its own, safeguarding its own security. We have not uh, sent warships across the nations to conduct military exercises along other countries' uh, coastlines. We have not conducted uh, reconnaissance flights uh, near the, the, the coastlines of other countries. So we are actually uh, developing ourselves to maintain our own, uh, uh, our own interest. If anything, as you said, uh, we are quite concerned about uh, NATO's uh, presence or expand what I say that expanded footprint in the Asia Pacific region, and uh, they have uh, intensified their their partnership with some countries like Australia, New Zealand, and closer to our country, Japan and South Korea. Also, in particular, they have established what they called the center of excellence uh, in the cyber affair, cyber area. Mm. So between uh, uh, ROK, uh, Republic of Korea, and Japan. So these are issues or developments that are of concern to China. So uh, I, I made that point very clearly that NATO as a regional organization as a regional military organization should stick strictly to its own geographical uh, area. So they should not try to expand into other geographical regions. And to EU, again, we appeal to them that uh, they should uh, have uh, more autonomy in, in military, in the security affairs. I, I know that uh, military uh, policy is a pillar of the EU's uh, strategic autonomy. So they, they need to be true to that and implement that on the ground. So these are the messages uh, I have conveyed to NATO and to EU. But uh, if you allow me, uh, this whole concept of yeah. China being a threat or challenges uh, to these, uh, to, the, to Europe, I think, is because of this, uh, again, coming back to the perception of China. And uh, 
that they need to understand that, uh, again, China's growth does not pose any challenge, much less a threat to any country. So uh, that's uh, something uh, um, we need to have uh, make sustained efforts on. We know that it's not easy to change people's perception. Uh, but again, uh, as a diplomat, that's my job. I will spare no efforts in reaching out and I will speak to whoever which is speak to speak to me and to engage in, in discussions and uh, in debates, if they like. And that's why I've been reaching out since I've come out, come here. I have here. noticed, yeah. I have actually yeah. noticed you had a recent meeting with the Deputy Secretary General of NATO a couple mm. of uh, days ago. Um, mm -hmm. how, how significant is that dialogue? You had, you had a, a certain smile <laughs> on, the, on your face <laughs> in, in, the, in the picture, which, you know, given the tension, the, the strong positions China has towards NATO and vice versa, mm -hmm. I find it quite unusual. But what happened, what went on in the meeting and uh, why did you meet that organization face to face? Actually, uh we want to maintain a constructive dialogue with NATO. That's our position. And, and, uh, and the constructive dialogue means that we need to uh, discuss issues in a serious and amicable uh, manner. So uh, that's why the smile on my face. We don't need to uh, always uh, look serious. And, but uh, when, we, when we talk about serious issues, as I said, I can be quite tough. And so uh, you can rest assured that uh, having a smiling face doesn't mean that uh, China is soft on NATO. No, by no means. <laughs> but let me say again, mm -hmm. we want to maintain amicable and constructive relationship with NATO. And in this process, we need to convey the messages clearly that Again, NATO should stick to its own geographical area, and they should not expand its presence in our part of the world in the Asia-Pacific region. Would there be potential consequences if they do? Well, uh, we will try our best to, uh, to, to make sure that uh, they don't, and uh, we will urge them to be transparent in their, in, in their dialogue with certain countries. And uh, we'll see uh, how the situation develops and uh, take uh, actions uh, appropriately and in proportion to, uh, to, the, to the actions they take. Of course, the sticking point in bilateral ties, which is the bilateral investment treaty, which has been shelved, is that one of the lower hanging fruits that you meant? I mean, do you want to mm. be the one that untie the, the knot? Well, actually, since I, since I came here, I've been trying very hard to push for the uh, unlocking of this issue, if you like, because you know that uh, this, this agreement is a quite an important one for both sides. This was uh, the result of seven years of negotiation between the two sides. Both sides have shown great uh, flexibility. And uh, once uh, ratified and implemented, it will greatly enhance our uh, economic interests from all sides. And, um, but the sad thing is 
that uh, some people, some politicians have politicized this issue. This is an economic issue. So they have uh, politicized this issue. And uh, now this issue is uh, suspending in the air, if you like, uh, in the uh, European Parliament. And uh, because of the sanctions, as you said in your introductory remarks. And uh, I told uh, my European interlocutors that uh, uh, Chinese people are practical people. We want we can be we want to be practical, and that's why we have come up with a possible solution, which is that we lift our sanctions simultaneously, so that so as to remove the the, the hurdles to the ratification by the EU Parliament. What's the reaction from the European side? The, the reaction is uh, some people say that this is a good idea. And some people are still thinking about this. So uh, uh, it is on the table. All and right. we sincerely hope that uh, this can be uh, okay. a solution to, to break the impasse. OK. Well, but we there is one thing there yeah. is one thing I need to make clear. Yeah. That this is a mutually beneficial agreement. OK. It's not as if a favor is a favor from one side to the other. People need to realize this. That's why we say that in terms of the solutions, it has, come, it has to come from both sides. You cannot demand concessions from one side only. So that is the, uh, the, the basic uh, situation. Finally, with COVID restrictions being lifted on the Chinese side, now some, the European Union has issued recommendations about taking some, some uh, restrictions yeah. targeting travelers from China, but not from somewhere else. Um, how is that going to impact people-to-people -people exchanges? Are you concerned? Yes, I am concerned. Actually, on the, on the, uh, I also made the obvious I also made demands, if you put it bluntly, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the the European side. I talked to the uh, to the Swedish ambassador in Brussels, uh, who is now the rotating president of of EU, and also I talked to the EU uh, officials, and uh, we we I say that. Uh, those extra restrictions on the part of the EU were not scientifically based. They were not based in evidence um, because the basic fact is that uh, the virus variants that are circulating in China are already found uh, in Europe. So there is no point uh, trying to, uh, to prevent uh, Chinese travelers uh, or impose right. extra uh, restrictions on Chinese travelers. And I also told them that uh, that they need to be more concerned about this new virus, which is circulating in the U.S. Actually, let's see whether they heed um, such calls. And uh, basically, the European CDC also gave out similar uh, recommendations vis-a-vis -vis travelers from China. Many thanks to Ambassador Fuzhong, China's new head of uh, the mission to the EU joining me from Brussels, Belgium. Thank you very much. Thank you. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lucien. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lucien in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>